I'm Brian Kilmeade. I'm Martha McCallum. I'm David Asman, and this is the Fox News Rundown. Monday, October 26, 2020. I'm Trey Yanks. Protests are intensifying in Belarus amid calls for accountability in the government. We also seen circulating in social media video very cons- concerning and worrisome video of special forces storming into private homes with tear gas, arresting people that they suspect they are part of the opposition and their leaders of the protesters. This is the Fox News Rundown, global pandemic. The world is dealing with massive spikes of coronavirus, though protests, conflicts, and political battles continue to unfold. Over the next few minutes, you'll get the latest headlines on the global COVID-19 outbreak and hear from Yonat Freeling, a senior Fox News field producer, about important stories over the past week not related to the virus. Starting first in France, that recorded more than 52,000 new cases of COVID-19 yesterday. With more than 1.1 million total cases, France comes in fifth, for worst affected countries around the globe. There is widespread testing underway of French citizens, as well as tighter restrictions to try and clamp down on this second wave. Now to China, where 137 asymptomatic cases were reported in the northern part of the country. The cluster of cases is linked to a garment factory in the region of Xinjiang. China is working now to test 4.7 million people in the area. Finally, in India, total cases are approaching 8 million. Its fatality rate, though, is improving and has dropped to just 1.5%. Overall, daily cases are reaching an all-time low over the past three months in India at 45,000 people. These are all extremely important updates, though there continue to be other major stories developing around the world. Uh, In Belarus today, there is a general strike that was declared by the opposition leader, uh, Svetlana Tikhanovskaya, and by the opposition groups that are now becoming more and more prominent and bigger throughout the country. This is Yonat Freeling a senior Fox News field producer. We've seen thousands and thousands of people in the street of Minsk, and throughout the day, more and more people uh, by groups of tens and sometimes hundreds are leaving their workplaces, such as factories, universities, kindergartens and schools, and going out to the street to demonstrate against Alexander Lukashenko. Um, Yesterday, 523 people were arrested in the um, Sunday demonstration. That was the biggest one yet since August 9th. Um, And it seems that the Belarusian people don't give up. They want Lukashenko out of the country, and they want Tikhanovskaya back in the country. She has fled the country about a month ago in fear for her life and her children's life. Her husband is still in jail. Um, The Belarusian police continue to use excessive force and tear gas um, to disperse and and to um, fight the demonstrators. Uh, We also see circulating in social media video, very concerning and worrisome video of special forces storming into private homes with tear gas, arresting people that they suspect they are part of the opposition and their leaders of the protesters. Um, if you look at the uh, Belarusian official television, you're not going to see anything because it just airs as usual because of Lukashenko um, orders. But the social media and especially telegram groups that come from inside Belarus outside to international media and social um, other social media such as Twitter, you see 
uh, very concerning videos of of beating and people disappearing and um, testimonies of people that have beaten and uh, people that they lo they don't know where their loved ones are for past a month or even more since the beginning of um, of the demonstration. It is important to note uh, the significance of the general strike because most of the factories in the university in Belarus are do belong to the government and so it needs a great deal of courage to step out, risk their own life, risk their job in such horrible times of COVID and economic crisis to say we had enough, we want things to change and we're not giving up. It's interesting how President Lukashenko is trying to paint the protesters as the other and as an external threat. He had a call over the weekend with the U.S. Secretary of State, Mike Pompeo, and basically reiterated to Pompeo that he and his counterparts in Russia would address any sort of external threat, basically trying to push across this message that this has nothing to do with the internal politics and trying to discredit the protesters. Obviously, the U.S. government and U.S. State Department aren't going to buy that story, but it's pretty bold to speak directly to Pompeo and make this reported claim. Yes, it seems that Lukashenko has, um, he doesn't care. The only thing that wa he wants right now is to stay in power. He's been one of the longest serving European leaders. Um, he, we, we said it before, he's called the last European dictator. And from things that we've seen in the past two and a half months, he does justify his name, uh, his nickname, his notorious nickname. Um, I do have to say that I wish that the Western communities, such as the EU and the US, will put further pressure on him and maybe try to support the opposition more and more because they have met and they have talked with Tikhanovsky and other um, opposition leaders, but it seems that something bigger or more forceful um, or diplomatic efforts are much needed now, especially to support the Belarusian people. They've been doing it for so long and they need more hope and support. I want to shift now to another protest story and that is Iraq. Iraqis marked the one-year anniversary of deadly anti-government demonstrations in Baghdad with more protests over the weekend. We saw security forces firing tear gas. We were in Tahrir Square earlier this year in Baghdad covering similar protests and basically, uh, these demonstrators feel their needs are not being met and that a lot of the resources and attention of the Iraqi government, despite its new leadership under Mustafa al-Khadimi, is not changing things. The focus is still on allowing Iran to operate its proxies within the country, something that was a major criticism of Abdul Mahdi, the former prime minister, and now things still seem to be the same. And, and these protesters took to the streets once again, demanding that change. What was the latest out of Iraq over the weekend? Yeah, um, the demonstration um, have taken to the streets of Baghdad and some other uh, other cities such as, such as Najaf and Basra. Um, we've seen some, according to some AP reports, uh, some of the protesters have been hurling Molotov cocktails, injuring security forces. 
Um, but other reports indicate that the police used tear gas and water cannon as well, and um, six protesters have been wounded. I'm pretty sure the number are higher. Um, as you said, uh, this is a test for the new prime minister, uh, Mustafa El-Kadimi, uh, that he's just five months in power. He needs to change. He voiced his support to the protesters once uh, before, but now uh, the new prime minister, with the pressure from Iran and from the um, elite that are governing uh, and, and the civil workers that are waiting for their salaries and the economic crisis, I think that will put him, you know, in an awkward or difficult position. Um, the demonstrations last year were held for a month and they took the toll of more than 600 people. I truly hope that these current demonstrations are not going to be as deadly as the one before and I truly hope that they will find some sort of way to help um, and reform the government, um, dismantle the very greedy elite um, civil workers in Iraq, and then will try to find a way to separate themselves from Iran. Um, I think this will be their path into international cooperation, and especially with the U.S. Uh, we talked about the U.S. Um, plan to might to maybe evacuate the embassy and i think this is another angle of the same of the same troubling reality of the iraqi people you've been listening to you're not freeling a senior fox news field producer we'll be right back our last story is out of libya and an announcement that was made Friday in Geneva, Switzerland, brokered by the United Nations, a ceasefire deal between pro-government forces and the opposition forces of General Haftar. What do we know about Libya? Um, this is actually very exciting. And as the UN uh, has called it, an historic deal. Uh, the two main factions, the Haftar forces and the pro-government forces, have signed a permanent ceasefire. Um, they're calling for all foreign mercenaries that um, are going to leave Libya within the three months. Um, we're referring to the thousands of Syrian fighters that were deployed by Turkey and Russia on, on the opposite sides of the conflict. This conflict has been going on for since 2014, three, after, three years after the previous ruler, Muammar Gaddafi, was killed by the rebels. Um, and it involves so many foreign powers and countries such as Turkey, Russia, Egypt, France, Qatar, Saudi Arabia, UK, the EU, the US, and many others. 600,000 uh, 600, people have been accounted as migrants and refugees. Te 11 of them even over this weekend in Europe. One of them is a pregnant woman. More than 2,000 people have been internally displaced by the conflict. And the estimate of the casualty is unbelievable. It's between 2,500 to 25,000 people. We don't know because many remote places, um, uh, international NGO has not got to the country and they cannot um, calculate. People have died. They are buried in, in rubbles. And so we don't know. Uh, one thing that I want to point out that Stephanie Williams, she's the UN envoy to Libya, and she got her job recently after her previous um, 
the previous person in the role almost gave up and she said we have to put the power into the people and so the agreement is important because it gives power to both sides without for now at least without involving the external um, powers that we talked about this is only a first step uh, there are going to be more and more uh, meetings and more uh, a lot of work should be put into um, the agreements and it's hopeful that the Libyan people will find peace after so long. You make an interesting point about the casualty count in Libya. It was so difficult for international bodies to count the dead because there were days during the civil war where towns would be captured and then recaptured by the other side in the span of 24 or 48 hours. And there was no media there, very limited social media and mixed reporting about who was in control of an area. So it's difficult in these really messy war situations to paint an accurate picture from a humanitarian standpoint. Now our good news story of the week. It's an interesting story this week, and that is related to a report in the Wall Street Journal that came out at the end of last week about a man with a familiar name, Bond. James Bond. Yes, it's it's a weird and interesting story. We're talking about James Albert Bond, who was born in 1928. He's from Welsh in the UK. And in 1964, he came to Warsaw in Poland as a diplomat. A um, few months later, he vanished. But in the meantime, he did go to a few bases up in the northern part of the country. Um, and the documents were um, declassified last week, 44 pages with his name, photographs, and some kind of description. And there just caused a big <laughs> confusion and a mystery uh, tied with the name. It's funny because um, Ian Fleming started writing the Bond books in 1950s. Um, so it, the Albert... Bond or James Bond, the one that we're talking right now, was already a famous name even in Warsaw. So was it an, an intentional thing by the MI6, uh, the British uh, spy agency? Maybe it was just a coincidence. By the way, his wife, Janet, have said that she thinks he was a spy, but she thinks he wasn't as intriguing and the fictional James Bond. Um, so, yeah. It's kind of funny. It's a really interesting story. There's a new James Bond movie coming out, but it's been delayed time after time because of COVID. And now it's supposed to come out at the beginning of April. But there's some reports saying the producers have talked about moving it to a streaming service because COVID has affected people's ability to go out and see a movie in the theaters. So an interesting story to come out when that movie eventually From is released. From all the Bonds, who's your favorite? That's a tough one. Mine is Sean Connery. Forever and ever. Sean Connery. Sean Connery. A classic Bond. You're not Freeling, a senior Fox News field producer, joining us today in the studio on the Fox News Rundown Global Pandemic Podcast. You're not. Thanks for your time. Thank you, Trey. See you next week. You've been listening to the Fox News Rundown. Stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to foxnews.com.
I'm Charles Payne. Listen to my Unstoppable Prosperity podcast so I can get you making money right now. Whether stocks are hitting new all-time highs or in freefall mode, opportunities abound. So why are so many potential investors still sitting on the sidelines? In a new season of my podcast, I'm going to get you in the game. After 38 years on Wall Street, I'm ready to impart some lessons and get you invested in the greatest wealth-generating machine in history. Listen anytime, everywhere at foxbusinesspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast.